You're listening to the First Corinthians When Immaturity Meets Worldliness series preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bible, if you would, this morning and find your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. One of the great blessings of going through the Bible a chapter at a time is that you don't skip any chapters. I mean, you work your way through, and as a congregation, as a group of believers, we get an opportunity to see the book in its entirety. We get an opportunity to see the structure and the thoughts as, as it's written down. We understand how to read the Bible and how to apply the Bible. And, and that's a great thing. And so there's a tremendous blessing in not skipping chapters as you work your way through a book. And you find that here all the time. The greatest problem about that is that you cannot skip chapters. You can't go from 1 Corinthians 4 to 1 Corinthians 8. There's 5, 6, and 7 in there. And so this morning we are going to tackle 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 8. And if you've looked at your bulletin this morning, if you've looked at the the title of the message, I'm calling this Cricket Sunday. And I know for some of you who have been here long enough, you you think that has nothing to do with the message. You often have words in there that are just a phrase that you use, and so that means nothing. And others might be thinking that, hey, the idea of cricket is like, you know, Jiminy Cricket, right? Do you think about Jiminy Cricket? Always let your conscience be your guide. And you might be thinking, that's where he's going. I'm not. And the problem with always letting your conscience be your guide is sometimes our consciences are weak, and sometimes they're seared. That's not always good advice. When I say Cricket Sunday, here's what I mean by that. And maybe you already know and can relate to this. There are times in our lives when we're confronted with something or something is so awkward or unusual or just sort of smacks you in the face that in a setting like that, you, you can hear a pin drop. If you ever watch a cartoon or a, a humorous skit, you'll hear when there's silence just the sound of crickets. Because no one wants to move and no one wants to speak. There's just crickets in the background. I was watching a clip this week um, about the Duggar family. You know, the Duggar family, 19 million and counting, all right? And, and I think they're good Christian people. I think they've, they love the Lord. But they have a deal where they have this idea of courtship, and, and you, have to, you have to court their daughters uh, or their son's court to be married. And so on this clip that I saw, um, the, the young man was there with one of the, the daughters, and the mother was in the the background, you could see her, and it looked like they were in like a utility closet. It was really strange, but so they're, they're, they're filming this, and while they're filming it, um, the guy says, hey, um, I would like to officially court you, and then it's sort of quiet. It's like silent, and then she says, okay, and then there's more silence, and it's, it's really awkward, and then the mother, they pan, she starts clapping, and then it stops again, and there's more silence. And it, 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 for me, it was like the sound of a cricket because it was bizarre. And then at the end, we see the father who's filming who, who wants to break the awkward silence and says, okay, you can both side hug. And they just side hugged each other and everything was good. Okay? It was one of those cricket moments that's like, oh, it's awkward. This morning, we're in 1 Corinthians 5. And, and before I make a comment to you, Let me just read it in its entirety, okay? 
And I think you're going to understand where we're headed this morning. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Cricket. And such fornication as is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Cricket. 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 Right? I mean, this doesn't sound like a Sunday school story that you, you heard in junior church. Paul says in verse 2, And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together and in the spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That's where we're headed this morning. So let me give you a summary of what's happening here. I'm going to go through verse by verse and try to unpack this. And then I just want to make two... um, statements that I'll, I'll follow up after this, all right? Let me summarize what's happening. In this portion of Scripture, we've already seen Paul dealing with this church, a church full of problems. He's already dealt with the idea of unity and their problem with dysfunction, right? not getting along, having celebrity pastors and elders, and having these groups and these cliques within the church. And now he focuses attention on this problem in the church. Paul is speaking now, and you've got to get this, to... Um, an unrepentant sinner whose sins are public. Okay? Now listen to me. It's important that you understand as we go through this. If there's anybody in the world that knows and understands that Christians are sinners, it's Christians. You can say amen at this point. Okay. Okay. We know better than anyone because we understand that Calvary, our sins were forgiven, and yet we are in this flesh, and we struggle not only daily, but hourly. And so this is not a Pharisee, someone who thinks they're self-righteous, just casting judgment. Paul is dealing now with a, a church member who is in public sin, and they're unrepentant. Okay? That's what we're dealing with. So remember that as we go through. And Paul says, as he works his way through this, he will deal with the sin, but he's more concerned with the attitude of the church toward the sin and their lack of action about the sin. He says, you're arrogant, and you should not be arrogant. You should be mourning, and not only mourning, listen to what he says, you should kick him out. And then at the end of verses 6 through 8, he reminds the church that they cannot compromise and be complacent. 
when dealing with sin within its walls. So that's where we're headed. Are you ready? All right, let's do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. We'll stop there for a moment. Okay. The word fornication there is the word porneia. Sound familiar? We get the word pornography. And, and in the New Testament, when the writers are using the word fornication, it, it sort of categorizes all kinds of sexual sins. Okay? Anything outside of one man, one woman, in a covenant relationship, the Bible says, is fornication. And this is not something that just made up in the New Testament or by prudish Christians. This command goes back to the creation order. In the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, one man, one woman in the covenant of marriage. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers God will judge. And so that we're all on the same page here. Fornication would include premarital sex, friends with benefits, adultery, which is a married person sleeping with someone who is not their spouse. All fornication, homosexuality, anything outside the covenant of marriage. And Paul says, there's fornication among you. Now, now listen, we are in Corinthians. We understand that the Corinthian church was a wicked, I mean the Corinthian city was a wicked, immoral place. We, we've, we've set that, we've established that. If you'll recall, when it, when it talks about the, this coining a phrase of, well, to act like a Corinthian meant to be immoral. That was their culture. This was a common statement made in Corinth at this time. Men would say this, we have mistresses, for our pleasure, concubines for the daily care of our bodies, and wives to bear legitimate children. This was their idea. This was their culture. It was immoral. And, and everyone in this church at Corinth would have been exposed to this culture. It's, it's what they would have known or lived in before coming to Christ. Now listen to me. Can we be honest this morning? We can talk about Corinth and the problems of Corinth, but is our culture so far removed from that? There is wickedness, there is sexuality purported all over the place. We see it on television, we see it in movies, we see it in the themes of the things we watch. We see it in our educational system. That earlier and earlier in life, like kindergarten now, we want to teach our children about sexuality, which I don't understand. Pornography is at our fingertips with one click. Don't be so haughty talking about the Corinthian culture when this in nature is our culture. It is our culture. In our town, we have a gentleman's club. Is that an oxymoron or what? Do gentlemen go to those clubs? And are those clubs places that really want gentlemen? I don't think so. 
Okay? This would be a chance to laugh, take that nervous energy out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah good. All right. Okay. We're there. And Paul says, there is fornication among you. It's, it's not our only Corinth. It's, it's, chat, it's our culture. But then he goes on, in verse number one, and he says this. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And what he's talking about here, we believe, is that this man was in an intimate relationship with probably his stepmother. We don't know if the father was still alive, if he had died, or if they were divorced, but it's categorized as incest. And what Paul says here is this. It is commonly reported, it is public knowledge that in your church, you've got a guy in there that is doing something that as the pagans look at it, they say, that is freaky weird. And it's happening in your church. We know from Jewish law, Leviticus 18 and 20, this was forbidden, any type of relationship like this. But not only that, this relationship was forbidden in Greco-Roman law as well. Among the pagans. A matter of fact, Cicero was, was talking about this, and, and this whole situation, not this situation, but a situation like this, and said about the woman, this is unbelievable activity. And this activity is so bad that even in the city of Corinth, you could be expelled for this. And this is what's happening in the church. By the way, if, if you don't know, this is a problem, all right? Fornication in the church is a problem. Paul says it's a problem. And what you're doing is so bizarre that even the world says it's strange. Verse number two. And you are puffed up. Here's the problem. Freaky weird should not happen. And you are arrogant about it. And this means one of two things. It might mean that, that they had a problem with their pride and arrogancy. They're all about wisdom and sophistication and how smooth they were and who they know. And you're, you, you think you're like this, but this is going on in your church. But what's probably happening is this. That they're arrogant because... We're believers. All things are lawful for us. We're antinomian. We don't have a law. We're in Christ, and you can do whatever you want. It's okay because you're saved. Don't worry about it. Don't rock the boat. We're tolerant. We're open. We're affirming this is our church. And that's probably what's happening here. And Paul says, you're arrogant, and you ought to be mourning. And that, that word mourning is this deep expression of anguish of the soul. When someone really repents, they're mourning. You ought to be mourning. You ought to be broken that this is happening in the house of God. And then he says this. He ought to be gone. Now, listen to me. I know right now there's some of you who are saying, wait a minute, that doesn't sound very Christian. And Paul's probably just angry right now, and it doesn't make sense. But why would he say that? It doesn't seem nice. It doesn't seem loving. It doesn't seem kind. We're going to get to this, but that's what he says, and that's what he means. He means you should be mourning. He should be gone. Look at verse number three. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, Paul says, I'm not there now, but I have judged already as though I were present, 
concerning him that hath done this deed in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, and Paul is pulling out the trump card. He's an apostle of Christ. By the authority of Christ, I've made a judgment call already. I'm not there. I'm there in spirit. I know it's happening. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, and with, or I'm sorry, uh, when you are gathered together, and note this, Paul is not talking about one person making a decision. He's not talking about himself just making a decision, or a few people, or a clique of people. He says, for the whole church, when you're gathered together as a church, and my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just, just so that you don't miss this, okay? This is not unusual language for Scripture about the authority of the church. A matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus is talking to the disciples, he says, listen, I'm giving you authority and power to bind and to loose things. As you make a decision, as you practice spiritual authority, you will bind and loose things on earth that will be bound and loosed in heaven. And then he says in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. You need to be careful. He's not talking about prayer meeting or church. He's talking about church discipline. And what he says there, this is the church collectively practicing their authority to discipline their own. And Jesus says, when this is happening the right way, the right spirit, I'm there. And I approve. I approve of this message, as our politicians would say. That's what he's saying. So he says, now listen, by the authority of Jesus Christ, as a church, here's what you need to do. Next verse. Number five, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's a tough verse. What in the world does that mean? What's Paul saying there? And I've got to tell you something. This is a difficult verse. People debate on what actually Paul means here. It depends on what he means by flesh and by spirit and being saved. But can we all agree this morning that no matter what he means here, it's not good? Anybody think it's good? It'd be a good idea. If you came in this morning, and we're all gathered together and had a special meeting, you walked through the door and said, Hey, brother, we're glad you're here. We've just gathered together in the authority of Christ in the church, and we want you to know we made a decision. Here's the decision. We have decided that we're going to turn you over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh. God bless you, brother. Would, would anybody think that's really a good thing? No, it's a, it doesn't matter. This is terrible. It's terrible. That's what Paul said. Now, now I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on, on what this means. Let me tell you what I think this means, what, what I think he's saying. And you can disagree. We will agree that it's terrible no matter what. It's terrible. But I think what Paul is doing here is he's making a contrast with the, the body of Christ believers, the church, a place where the Spirit of God resides in the lives of His people. A place that is to be holy and righteous. A place that is gifted by the Spirit to take care of the body. Through the gifting, through giving, through loving, through exhortation. A place where people are loved and cared for. A place that truly is a family. I think what Paul is saying is, listen, this man is unrepentant. This behavior continues. He is acting in a, in a manner that is contradictory to the life of a believer. Therefore, as a church, 
remove him from the umbrella of safety in the body of believers and send him back into Satan's domain, into the world, where Satan can deal with him. He doesn't have the protection of the church. He's in the world. And listen to me, don't we know by now that the world chews you up and spits you out when they're done with you anyways? Let's be honest. I mean, that's, that's the world system. That's Satan's way. He, he loves to destroy those made in God's image. And the world doesn't care. And his dominion doesn't care. And so I believe what's happening here is Paul saying, you're out of this to be delivered to Satan for the destruction of your flesh, which means one of two things. It could mean that he goes out into the world, continues, and God just takes him home. And that does happen to believers. Read 1 Corinthians, continue on there. We talk about Lord's Supper tonight. Paul says, some of you are sleeping. And it wasn't because there were comfortable chairs. He doesn't mean they just fell asleep. He means they died because there was sin in their life they weren't dealing with. And so it could be that Paul says, for the destruction of your flesh, that you can be saved. And what he means is that God's going to take your life, your terrible testimony, I'm done with this, but your soul will be saved. Or it could mean that the destruction of Satan means he's, he's plummeted by the world, by Satan, he's beat up and chewed up, and finally he realizes what he did have in the church, he misses that fellowship, and he comes back and is in that way saved. And I think that's what Paul's talking about. Could be wrong, but I know this. This is meant to be a problem in this man's life. And I want you to know this. It's not just vindictive to where, yeah, I get him. The purpose is for his salvation. The purpose is not just to destroy him, but that he can be saved and go on from there. Verse number 6. Your glorying is not good. Okay? And now he's talking to the entire church about this situation, about having this man there. And then he says this, Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? And in Bible days, they would take their, their, their dough and they would mix the dough. They couldn't go down to Sobeys or the, or the, we call it the banana store. I know that's not the name of it, just a big banana on it. No frills. Okay? You'll call it banana store now too as you see it. They just going to go and open up a package of yeast and pour it in there. So what they would do is they would have this fermented, this yeast, they'd put it into the dough when the, and, and that yeast would affect the entire loaf. It would rise. And before they baked it, they would take a piece of that dough off and allow that to continue to ferment. So the next time they baked, they would just add that to the dough. It would rise and the process would continue. And Paul is talking about the influence of this yeast in a bad way. And we understand this, don't we? We, we have a saying, we say something like this, one bad apple spoils the whole, is it bunch, bushel, basket, whatever it is. And the idea is that one rotted apple will ruin all of them. And Paul says, your glory is not good because what's happening is not only destroying this man's life, it's destroying the church. Verse number seven. And you'll see there's a connection with this levy, this leaven and yeast with, with Passover. Verse 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump. Can I ask you a question? What does he mean when he says, Purge out the old leaven? What's he talking about? Sin, specifically? That guy. That guy. Purge out that, and remember the analogy, this, 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 
influence, get rid of that so that you can be a new lump. You can be what, and he's not calling this lumpy, I know some of you are lumpy, but a new loaf, right? A new lump. And this is something interesting that Paul does that, that you need to see. Get rid of the old, it's, it's infecting the church, that you might be a new lump as ye are unleavened. And this is typical Pauline theology, and what he says is this, be who you are. That's what he means. You are not the old man. You're not the old woman. You're not bound by sin. Jesus Christ died for us to deliver us from sin. I don't have to be that way anymore because I am not that way anymore. And for most of us as believers, if we could get this truth, it would change our lives. The things I used to do, the places I used to go, the things I used to say and love and cherish... I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. That's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man, woman, be in Christ, they are a new creation. They are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Be who you are. You're not a fornicator. You're not an adulterer. You're not a liar or a thief or a sluggard. You're a child of the king. Be who you are. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And he is using this again to go back to redemption, to be delivered from the children of Israel, were to, to make bread without leaven. They were leaving soon. God would redeem them. And so they moved quickly, and it became a statute and a, and a celebration even to this day, that the Jews take the leaven out of their house. And remember this. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our Passover. He was sacrificed for us. He died for our sins. He saved us so we could be sanctified. Verse number 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast. And again, this idea of Passover is, is mulling around in his head. Not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And what Paul is saying is, listen, don't act like a sinner, sinfulness, being, being in bondage to that. You're a new loaf. You are redeemed. And so now we live our life, we celebrate our life in newness. Not the old, not wickedness, not malice, not hatred, but in sincerity and truth. And daily we do this. Now listen to me. That's not just for Sunday morning. That's for Sunday to Sunday. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Now, let me say a couple things to you in closing. I'll make two statements. But before I do, listen to this quote, because I think this sums up our culture and what many of you right now might be feeling. Uh, Oz Guinness said this, In our day, it is considered worse to judge evil than to do evil. You hear that? We live in a world today when the greatest crime that you can commit is to judge someone for doing wrong. No matter how heinous it is, no matter how wicked or sinful it is, the, the greatest crime is that you would judge that individual. And we have been duped in our world to believe that that's how it should be. Listen to me. Paul is concerned about this sin, but he's more concerned with the attitude of the church towards sin 
and their lack of action. And what he wants for the church is this. He wants the church to be clear about sin and to deal with it. And here's why. My last two points. Number one, when the church of Jesus Christ is clear about sin and sinful behavior, and when they deal with it, it is good for the sinner. It's good for the sinner. Because the sinner gets to realize and recognize the trouble that he or she is in. This is a quote by Bonhoeffer, and he says this, Nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns another to his or her sins. That's cruel. To say, oh yeah, that's just them, let them go. And then he says, nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. That's biblical. Proverbs 27.6 says that, um, oh, come on, Rick, get it in there. It says that um, the, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And we have been duped in our world to believe that tolerance means to ignore, to affirm. It is loving to ignore sinful and destructive behavior. And my friend, it is not loving. If I have a child, or or a friend for that matter, and and I find out that they're into cutting, you know what I mean, just cutting, or they're, they're dabbling in uh, substance abuse, alcohol, drugs, or, or they're messing around with pornography. Do you really believe that it's loving to say nothing? Do you really believe it's loving and tolerant and affirming to just close your eyes to that? Would any of us do that with our children that we love and care for? Would we condone that and accept that and think it's okay and like it on our Facebook? You're insane. And that is not love. The only person you love when you ignore someone's sin is yourself. Because you want them to feel good about you. You want them to accept you. You want to be the nice guy or the nice girl or the person they can always talk to that never corrects them, never instructs them, and never loves them enough to tell them the truth. When the church is clear about sin and willing to deal with it, it is good for the sinner because they are in trouble. And the wages of sin are always death. And the church better wake up and start telling people the truth because they're on the road to destruction. It's good for the sinner. He realizes, or she realizes, her condition, and it's remedial for them. It's a remedy for them. And I knew leaving that, you know, if you're going to go to the military, you better know how to do something, right? At least one thing. You ever seen a movie about basic? You're going to have to do a push-up. And so before I left, that summer, I was leaving in August, that whole summer I would run, do sit-ups and push-ups, because uh, I knew basic training would be push-ups. And to my surprise, from the age of 17 to 19, not exaggerating, I have done thousands 
and thousands and thousands of push-ups. I can still do them today. I'm not going to show you, but I can still do them today. Okay? And I do them right. Right, level, right? The right way. You break the plane. You look like a plank. And I remember getting off the bus in Fort Knox, 17 years old, and one of the first things they said, well, the first thing they said, I can't tell you, but one of the first things that they said uh, when we got there was, I want to see you do 10 push-ups. And here were guys, honestly, and, and the drill sergeant would count, and the guy would go down, and he'd say, one, go down again, one, go down again, two, 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 because his rear end was up in the air, it was bent down like this, it wasn't a push-up. And there were guys that could not go to basic training because they had to go to remedial PT. So before you even got to basic training, the drill sergeant said, for two weeks, you're going to learn how to do a push-up. And listen to me, you might think that's terrible, but if that guy didn't learn how to do a right push-up, he would be doing thousands upon thousands until he got the right one anyways. It was remedial. It was for their good. Listen to me. When the church does right by this, the sinner understands, I love you enough, I want to correct this behavior and bring you back to a life of joy and peace and fulfillment in Christ. It's a remedy when the church is clear about sin. They deal with sin. It is good for the sinner and it is good for the church. It's good for the church. Um, in verse 6 he says, what you're doing as a church is not good. And it's the idea that, that leaven is it's spreading. There's an evil influence there. It's not good. Listen to me. A sin that the church doesn't deal with will be a sin eventually that everyone deals with. Everyone. How would you like to be in a church where the community said, Ah, I know about that church. That's a church where the guy is sleeping with his stepmother. I mean, are we lining up outside the doors to go to that church? That's a place where there are all swingers there. There's fornication. It's crazy there. That's a place where the, the deacons are liars. The guys are lazy. The women are gossips. Listen to me. When that happens, the church becomes a charade. It's a joke. And when it happens in our lives, it's a charade and a joke. When the church is clear about sin and they deal with it, it is good for the saints. It reminds us that we are to be pure. Can I, can I tell you something? Church of Jesus Christ, saved believers, God has called us to be holy. To be holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's what God says. And when we see sin for what it is and, and understand it has to be dealt with, it, it encourages us to be holy. To be holy. And, and, and just in case I haven't made myself clear this morning, listen to me. I'm not talking about some self-righteous, pharisaical judgment. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about unrepented, public sin. But before we even get there, maybe this morning, many of us, if not all of us, ought to worry about getting the stinking two-by-four out of our heads before we ever touch a brother or sister who has a speck in their eyes. Because the church is this. It's me. It's you. When we're serious about sin and clear on it and deal with it, it helps us to be pure. 
Not only that, it helps us to understand the privilege of community. In the first century church, when people trusted Christ, you know what happened for many of them? Their families forsook them. They were outcasts. For some, they lost their jobs and their livelihood. It meant something to be a Christian. You suffered at times for it. And so, the church, it meant something, man. Because this is my family. This is where I find love and encouragement and acceptance. This is where people care for me, and they love me, and they want me to do right and to be right and to follow Christ. It meant something. And the problem today in our churches is it doesn't mean anything anymore. We have this attitude like church doesn't matter. Can I tell you something? Today more than ever, the church of Jesus Christ matters for God's people. It is a privilege to be part of this ecclesia, this called out assembly of believers. This is where God is working, man. This is God's mission to the world is here. And so we have to understand it's a privilege to be part of this community. And the problem is that in the world that we live in today, and, and, and this happens, some guy, some girls, nothing up in church, they're unrepentant, their sins, they say, hey, you got to go someplace else. So what they do, they go someplace else and join another church. And never deal with the problem, never deal with their sin, never confronted by people who love them. They go from one church to the next church, and they wreak havoc and chaos there. Because they're never confronted about the purity of the church. The privilege of the church. And so as we wrap it up this morning, and I think about this text, may we have a church here that not only is clear about sin and deals with it, but our understanding of what happens here is authentic and real. That this would be a place when people see it, they see the Spirit of God being lived out in our lives. They see a place where there's truth and direction and clarity. They see a place where God's Spirit is, is miraculously transforming the lives of men and women. They say, hey, you know what? That guy used to be a dog, a cat, a pervert. Man, I tell you what, I don't know what happened to him, but, but something is changing. I mean, I, I see it. I'm his neighbor. I'm his coworker. I'm in the office. That guy's not the same that he used to be. That woman, all she ever did was gossip. She was always negative. It was wah, 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 wah. Nothing's ever good. Nothing's ever right. If that's you, just don't move right now. That, but it's uh, bad. But listen to me. Something happened. Something's going on. Hey, they're not perfect, but there's a glow to them. There's a hope in them. There's, there's this idea that God is at work in their lives. That guy that's always angry and blown his top, I don't know what happened, man, but there's something happening. Jesus Christ is real and at work in their lives. But this church is a place where people come and we love each other. No matter who you are, where you're from, what your past looks like, you come here and there's no status, there's no click, there's no, listen, man, we're all in the same boat. We're struggling. <laughs> we're struggling and we love you. And we've got to move on and go forward. Because if that's what type of church this church is, then to be removed from that would be genuinely a redemptive act. Because people would say, you know what? They had something. 
They were real. God's Spirit was working there. And I was an idiot. And I was so full of myself and sin. And now look where I'm at and look what I'm facing. And I miss that. I want that. I need to be back there. And that's the whole purpose, that they could have a place to come back that truly is redemptive. That's a hard text. But it's appropriate. It's appropriate for us today. By the grace of God, may we be a church as individuals that are clear about sin. It, 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 it's not about, oh, it's really a gray area. No, there is right, there is wrong. There, there are clear commands in the Word of God that would be clear about sin and that we will begin to deal with it not on a, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a heretic hunter. No, how about a heart hunter, your own heart? Start there. Deal with it there. And as a church, that we help each other, we love each other. But when there's sin, that we will deal with it. So we can reclaim the gloriousness of the church of Jesus Christ. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.